Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Are you a listener of Decoding TV or a cast of Kings? Do you want to support these shows? Sign up to become a paid member at DecodingTV.com, where you can get ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, and the ability to comment and join the community. Thanks to everyone who support these shows at DecodingTV.com. Yeah, about that. Um, it's true. I am a Hulk. Uh, and I'm guessing you're not going to be able to focus on this fun lawyer show until you know all about that. So let me get you up to speed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast recapping the latest and greatest in television. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhant Adlaka. Welcome to the new era of Decoding TV. Uh, Siddhant, this is the first time we are recapping something that is not uh, Westworld on this podcast feed. Uh, I mean, I did put out a, a bonus episode about Better Call Saul as well, but you know, th- this is it. We're we're in a new uh, territory here, brand new territory here. Are we though? Because uh, Jen Walters, She Hulk, wakes up a lot in this episode and reminds me a lot of Dolores. Um, <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure we've left Westworld. Perhaps. Well, if you are listening to this right now. It means you decided, hey, I enjoy the David Chen Sinatatlaka uh, dynamic, and I'm going to give them a shot. I'm going to stick around and see what they have to say about other shows. Uh, let me start by saying thank you so much. Thank you for giving us a chance. We really, really appreciate it. I also want to tell you a little bit about how this era of the podcast with She-Hulk Attorney at Law is going to work, right? We're going to be covering She-Hulk Attorney at Law on this podcast, um, and she-Hulk Attorney at Law is a new 30-minute-ish, 30 to 40-minute-ish comedy series that's airing right now on Disney+. Plus. And uh, as we were prepping for the show, uh, you know, it, it occurred to me that, like, uh, I, I don't know how many people are going to watch She-Hulk Attorney at Law, but what I wanted to do with this podcast is also provide people who aren't watching She-Hulk Attorney at Law something interesting to listen to. So each episode is going to be divided into basically two segments. And in our opening segment, we're going to talk about uh, a main topic for the week. And then we're going to follow that up with a detailed recap of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Uh, This week, we'll be talking about episode one, A Normal Amount of Rage. So uh, each week, we'll have a kind of like an interesting topic in the first part. And this week, the topic is going to be the MCU on television. And specifically, how we feel uh, the television experiment has gone for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's going to be our opening topic, and then we'll get into our recap of the show. But we hope you'll stick around for both segments. That would be great. But uh, if if you're not watching She-Hulk and you still want to listen to us, uh, we're going to have something interesting to talk about each week. It might be um, a movie. It might be a general topic. It might be a comic book run. Uh, so I'm excited to dive into all this stuff with Sanat Adlaka. I hope you will stick around. Um, and thanks to those who are members at DecodingTV.com for their support. All right. So Sanat, let's get into it. Um, let's talk about TV and the MCU. There's been a bunch of TV series at this point. I mean, like, I think it was what, um, January of, uh, 2021 when WandaVision debuted. Is that right? That's right. 
So it has been less than two years uh, since the MCU debuted on TV with WandaVision. And in that time, it feels like there's already been a dizzying number of shows. Um, uh, so it's actually astonishing. Like when they were first started, it's like, oh, they're kind of dipping their toe. And now there's been so many things. Falcon and Winter Soldier, Miss Marvel, Hawkeye. Uh, and of course, now this. Uh, but yeah, there's there's been a bunch of different shows. And I want to start by talking with you about what you think the quality of these shows has been over time. Like how have you found the shows to be as just an enjoyable viewing experience? So here and now coming off the back of Miss Marvel, um, I feel at least somewhat optimistic because I genuinely think Miss Marvel contains some of the best stuff the MCU has ever put to screen. And I think it is start to finish a very good show. Um, As for MCU TV as a whole, and mind you, this is the Disney Plus stuff we're talking about, not necessarily the Netflix stuff and the ABC stuff, which is, it's complicated as to whether or not you want to consider that canon. Um, It was made by, you know, different divisions and whatnot. So we're just talking about the Disney Plus stuff that ties very, very, very directly into the larger events of the MCU. And I think so far, those have varied in quality. Um... I, I think very few of the shows have stayed really good all the way through, uh, Ms. Marvel being the exception. I think there are some definite highlights, definite elements of shows like Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and even Hawkeye and especially WandaVision that I think have worked better than most of the recent movies. Um, although I find myself questioning the consistency of the quality but you know i i keep coming back for more you know here we are we're we're watching a new show we're talking about it every week i'm still i'm not all the way off the marvel tv train by any means um and i think i might be looking forward more to some of the shows than to some of the movies at this point Mm, interesting um any reason why that's the case Siddhanth? uh like what, what do you think the shows do better that the movies don't or can't I don't want to say that they necessarily feel more varied or they don't they don't feel varied in the sense that, you know, any two other shows on television, like I'm just picking these out of the hat, uh, Better Call Saul and The Simpsons, they don't feel that varied. But uh, if you compare, you know, how one Marvel movie feels next to another Marvel movie, there seems to be a little more variety within the shows. Um, and you can feel even for the things that don't always work. Um, there seems to be, you know, visually and in other artistic aspects, more interesting stuff going on than there is at the movie level. You know, you look at the concept episodes of WandaVision, you look at some of the stuff that Ms. Marvel did with its partition story. Um, you know, you look at some of the artistry behind Loki. I think Loki is a show that narratively I didn't entirely gel with by the end, but the music, the production design, some of the direction, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on at those levels even if they aren't always allowed to gel entirely by the marvel production machine so i think the as of now some of the more interesting stuff artistically is taking place uh, on disney plus as far as the mcu is concerned yeah i think i'm a little bit more mixed right Mm -hmm. now i have not seen miss marvel i'm going to watch it um soon because everyone tells me it's amazing and is the best TV show 
uh, that Disney Plus has put out, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what I'm hearing. So like uh, the message has been received, and I think as we continue this conversation, She Hulk, like I I need to watch Miss Marvel in order to properly contextualize a show like She Hulk. That's kind of yes. my my sense. Um, so that is in my plan to watch it, but uh, putting aside the the unequivocal amazingness of Miss Marvel that I have yet to experience and will. Uh, I am I'm very mixed on the MCU TV entries. Mm-hmm. I think in general, for a variety of reasons, business reasons, financial reasons, artistic reasons, what, whatever, like scheduling reasons, in general, more interesting stories are told on TV and in streaming these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at what's in movies, like it's it's, in my opinion, generally very homogenous what's at the movie theater right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of sequels, a lot of IP-based stuff. And I think you can find a lot more interesting stuff on TV and streaming. So like moving the Marvel Cinematic Universe to television felt like a very strong move artistically. Like, oh, this opens up all these possibilities to tell like longer stories, to tell stories that are different in style and such. And I will also grant that uh, that it takes time for a studio that's making TV shows to really find their footing. Like... They've only really, you know, this kind of creative team has only really been doing this since WandaVision, right? And so uh, anyone who's trying to tell stories in a different way or in a different medium, it takes time to, like, learn how to do that. The the shows have had flashes of brilliance. Like you said, Loki probably, Loki and WandaVision has some really amazing moments in them, right? Uh, Visually, just in terms of, like, WandaVision with how it, imitated and in some ways subverted the idea of these sitcoms Loki with its time travel and variants and that kind of stuff. Like there's some great stuff in there. Um, but I think that the thing that has been really hard for many of these shows to overcome is feeling like they're a commercial for the next, uh, movie. Yeah. And feeling like, Oh, all this is here to just set up new threads for the next movie. Now, I understand that's how comics work. I understand that when you read a comic, it's like, oh, there's always another story that it's teasing. I think what I'm saying is, for me, it doesn't quite work as well mm-hmm. when it's a TV show and it's like always teasing something that's going to be another thing. Like, like when you make the translation from comic book to TV show, like I think you have to make some changes. And I don't know that they've made enough changes to make mm-hmm. each of these things a satisfying story in and of itself. Um. And I also think it's interesting, like how it's going to dovetail and and have interplay with the movies. But I I, I will ask that question in in just a second. But uh, I'll just sum up my my opening thoughts as saying that like, um, I think there has is yet unrealized potential when it comes to the MCU on TV. And I'm willing, to, as evidenced by the fact that I'm talking with you right now, I'm I'm willing to like, uh, to give them a little bit a few more chances on this. Um, but I do feel like I have gotten burned a little bit by by some of the MCU TV shows. Um, I'll say, like, as an example, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think, was pretty bad overall. Like, <laughs> just pretty incoherent storytelling overall. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Loki felt like a very lengthy, at the end, felt like a very lengthy introduction to Kang. Um, it also, to me, feels like there's so many things spinning out from all these stories so many like loose threads spinning out from these stories now that like i am curious if by the end of phase six it's all gonna make sense you know or it will feel like 
it's all part of a cohesive whole, which I feel I do feel like, you know, uh, fault them for how you will. But like the first three phases all felt like, oh, they were all building up to something that, that ended up feeling quite cohesive to me. Um, and you're introducing so many loose threads now, like Moon Knight and, you know, um, Shang-Chi and like all these other people that it's like, is this all going to plug in together? Like Kang and is this all going to like, well, Kang, obviously he's going to be a big part of phase five and six, but you know, is this all going to plug in together? Is this all going to like make sense in the end? Uh, probably, but it does feel like the number of pieces on the chessboard is at a, a level that has never been before, you know? So, um, before we move on to talking about like how the movies have dealt with these events, like, do you have any more thoughts on, on the TV shows as a whole? I think you are on the money. Excuse me. I just had to charge my laptop. <laughs> um, I don't disagree with a single word you said, even though, uh, I might be a little more positive, uh, going into this than you are, or a little more positive on the Marvel TV stuff in general. Because uh, if you look at the broad spectrum of reactions to, you know, uh, the MCU in general, the MCU TV shows, I'm by no means, you know, uh, towards the positive end in general. There are people who mm-hmm. love this way more than I do and will and have taken my <laughs> mild criticisms as like personal attacks. So mm-hmm. um, I find myself somewhere in the middle. Um, some people would say I'm being too forgiving. Some people would say I'm... I need to turn my brain off and enjoy it more or what have you. Um, but yeah, you're right about everything you said. I, I, I can't really find a way to disagree with any of that. One of the things that I spoke about recently on the Filmcast podcast with my colleagues is like the number of shows is getting to be so high that it's going to start to become difficult for people to watch the movies, which are the <laughs> big money makers, and understand all the context behind them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that I thought was interesting about watching strange in the multiverse of madness was, uh, that movie, I don't know if you recall, basically acknowledges all the events of WandaVision in about three sentences. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. Oh, are you here about the town that I took over? Oh, you're not here about that. You're here about something else. Okay. Then let's move on to a separate topic. We still have yet to see uh white vision from that show, uh, appear anywhere. You know, that's, that's a good example of like, is that going to pay off in any way? Probably, probably. But, you know, like the more of those kinds of things you introduce, like, you know, the the more uh, I, I'm still wondering, like, if anything from the Eternals is going to plug into anything in, in this universe. But but I think that, right, the question is Marvel has mostly been movies until now. And like, are the TV shows always going to play second fiddle to the movies? You know, because so far it's been like, oh, let's acknowledge that the thing in the TV show happened and then like now watch the movie. Now, I will also acknowledge they've had a lot of problems due to COVID. Like they had to move around a bunch of TV shows and films and stuff like that. So like they're dealing with a lot of logistics that I can't possibly comprehend, but I respect. Uh, But I am curious, like, do you have an ideal for how you feel like the TV shows should plug into movies and how do you think it's been done so far? So... I think up until now, uh, apart from like, you know, the very basics of what happens in WandaVision, uh, you can pretty much dismiss most, if not all of the TV stuff when it comes to understanding the movies. Um, and, you know, yeah, like you said, they reduce the events of WandaVision to a few sentences. But uh, at the same time, I was kind of happy that they also 
basically discarded how they ended that show and just kind of made Wanda her own character. Because um, mm-hmm. I was I was happy with the result, even though there's a clear disconnect there. Uh, I believe Sam Raimi didn't really watch WandaVision. I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just one example, though. Uh, in a long term sense, you know, when it comes to all of these, do they need to feel consequential? Then the question becomes consequential to what? Um, and that then comes down to you know how we're approaching MCU television. Are we approaching it? Are we approaching all of the MCU as this larger tapestry that we know is going to build to something? Yeah, I think so. I think at this point, you know, what is it, 14 years into its existence um, and a decade since the first Avengers movie, I think there is an expectation that, you know, these connections will come about and will all lead towards something. Um, But at the same time, you want to be able to watch each individual show, each individual movie as its own thing. And I think finding that balance is definitely tricky. Um, Where I start to take issue on one hand is if the connective tissue, unintentional rhyme, uh, is if the connective tissue overtakes the storytelling, if it becomes more important than the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would just, you know, gun to my head. I want each thing to feel like its own thing, like its own story. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. But there's also no I, I escaping. Yeah, but there's also no escaping that these things, you know, are meant to be connected in some way. And if those connections start to feel loose or, you know, like I said, inconsequential, then that's a bit of a downer as well, a bit of a, you know, deflating factor. Um, look, we all know this is heading towards some multiverse stuff or the other. And that's because Marvel has the appearance of a plan, Right. It has an end goal in mind, kind of, sort of, even though they try and put on this front that, you know, oh, every, you know, step of this journey is intricately planned out. No, there's a fair bit of uh, improvisation involved, um, as was the case in what's now, you know, the Infinity Saga. You know, they didn't introduce, you know, all these objects and uh, MacGuffins and all knowing full well that, oh, eventually this is going to be an Infinity something. Um, It just ended up, you know, falling into place a certain way. And so now I think that's what's kind of happening as well with the shows and the movies currently, because you have all of these stories that are sort of circling this idea of a multiverse, but none of them is proving to be, you know, the thing that pushes us there. Um, You know, you have... I mean, I think probably the most, Loki came the closest, right? I was going to say, Loki is probably the most consequential one just because... Um, you know, it involves, you know, this version of Kang. It very directly deals with, the, you know, multiverses as a concept. Um, you have you have some mention of it in WandaVision, something to do with her being a nexus being, which is never really explored, even though it comes up again in Multiverse of Madness. Um, in Spider-Man No Way Home, you have, you know, characters hopping over from different universes, but at the end that gets wrapped up so is there some kind of you know domino effect there maybe maybe not because then in multiverse of madness um the trailers funnily enough make it seem like strange is going to be dealing with the consequences of having opened the multiverse and (laughs) letting the other peter parkers in it has nothing to do with that previous movie even though both (laughs) movies are 
very directly multiverse related. They have nothing to do with each yeah. other. Um, and then has strange caused something or the other, these incursions of these multiple universes, or is that just something that's happening in the background? Um, it's, it's hard to say. And, um, yeah, not to give yeah, but away I think to... what you're saying. I think what you're saying is that, like, it seems like yes, there's going to be some multiversal time travel uh, shenanigans in the MCU. It's clearly what everything is building up to uh, in Phase Five and Six, and that the TV shows have kind of hinted at some of these things without like fully exploring them yet. And th- the same can yeah. be said of the movies thus far as well, right? Yeah, it's throwing all these ideas out there without really doing anything with them. It is, yeah. it's. I think the best way to put this is it's setting up potential setups. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the post credit sequence of Shang-Chi, um, it's like, oh, the rings, we don't know where they're from. It's like, okay, if they decide, they can make it an alien thing. If they decide, they can make it, oh, the yeah. rings were from an alternate universe. Uh, a similar thing happens in Miss Marvel. No, no spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, including you. Um, there is some element of like you know, some alternate something or the other that could be related to all this, but also may not be. Uh, it's hard to really tell because all of these isolated stories seem to be dealing with somewhat similar things, but with no causal effect between them. And I think, you know, like I said, um, Spider-Man to Doctor Strange is the most overt example where, you know, one is in theory a sequel to the other because it contains one of the same main characters and they both deal with multiverse type stuff but they're not connected in any realistic way what was the question (laughs) (laughs) question was about how the movies relate to the tv shows and i think you put it well when you said that thus far you haven't had to watch any tv shows to enjoy any of the movies right pretty much question and the question is will that change over time Hmm. you know uh i don't know I don't yeah, know, give, but... given the lineup of the shows they have coming up, I don't think so. Because you don't have, like, I mean, maybe Loki season two at most, because that's the one that seems to directly deal with, you know, a character being lost in some kind of alternate right. reality. Yeah, Maybe there'll be some other version of Kang. Um, but yeah, so but, far... But it, I... it, it seems distinctly possible that, like, the, the alternative approach is, like, the TV and the movies are kind of, like, separate. And, like... You can watch the movies and they tell their own story and the TV shows tell their own story. And like they don't necessarily they intersect occasionally, but like they, you don't necessarily need to watch one to enjoy the other. You know, um, that's yeah. that's the other possibility. So I'd, I'd be OK with that uh, if they weren't also, like I said, these kind of half hearted attempts to say that, hey, it's actually connected. We don't really know how yet, but just, you know, we'll, we'll figure yeah. it out eventually. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think like the most important thing is uh, that each story feel satisfying on itself, like Mm -hmm. without attachment to other things. And I feel like specifically with like Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki like that, I I would not describe those stories as particularly satisfying uh, as standalone, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that they, they all tie into these other things. And um, Moon Knight was an interesting one because it's like, uh, that is pretty much a standalone story, but also I found it to be like fairly incomprehensible by the end of it. You know, like I was like, "What is which reality are we in, and who? What's real? What's not?" You know. So, um, but what's also pretty interesting is obviously that this is the first time with She-Hulk Attorney at Law that the MCU is attempting a thirty-minute comedy um, mm-hmm. with their TV shows. One Division, I guess, was the closest, right? But like. Not really. And so 
I think um, I, I, I think what I appreciate about the fact that She-Hulk Attorney at Law exists is that they are starting to hopefully branch out a little bit more when it comes to the styles and formats in, in, in the TV medium. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'll say this much. I would be thrilled if She-Hulk ended up having nothing to do with multiverses and secret I, you know, invasions and, you know, major events that are coming up. I would be thrilled if it was just this 30 minute um, legal comedy as the character herself describes, because, you know, there, there are these, you know, there are going to be connections to the wider MCU. Like uh, Bruce Banner, the Hulk is a character in the first episode. Um, but I would be, you know, more than happy for it to not have any bearing on the larger universe unless they find you know some really intelligent way to integrate it but um yeah i i wouldn't mind if one of these was contained and intimate like the way hawkeye was when it first started out because when hawkeye began uh it was a question of hey is this avenger going to make it home in time for christmas that's all it was but then as it went on yeah but then as it went on it's like well uh, Black Widow's secret sister is here from the movie, and then Kingpin is here from another show, and then there's all these you know connections and references, and then it, it just got overwhelmed by connections to stuff that weren't, things that weren't particularly interesting to begin with. Um, so there's always that possibility going into that, any that Marvel seems to show. Be what happens to a lot of the MCU shows, though I think, yeah. right, is that they they start with great premises. And then as they go on, there there's this like inexorable need to like factor in all these other connections. Um, but the way that they're done is like kind of clunky, not really meaningful from a storytelling perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, th- that is, I think, a challenge that they need to overcome is how to balance those things, how to tell the two things being telling a s- satisfying self-contained story and also um and also tying into the broader universe. And for yeah. some reason, I think like they've had a difficult time balancing these two things in the TV shows. You know what Absolutely. I mean? So um, any other thoughts on the MCU uh, as as a TV universe, Sidon? Not without you having watched Miss Marvel. I think there's more <laughs> for me to say on that front once you've seen it. Uh, but the broad strokes of what I would say about that is um, the things you're saying, I think, excuse me, I think will you may end up having positive thoughts on Miss Marvel in that regard. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I will try to start it this weekend and maybe I'll have more to say about it next week when we yes. uh when we gather again. So quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. All right. Uh, why don't we dive into the episode? You're listening to Decoding TV. Uh, support us at decodingtv.com. Let's talk about She-Hulk episode one, A Normal Amount of Rage, which just aired on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm here with Siddhanth Adlaka. I'm David Chen. And of course, I want to start by asking, as usual, Siddhanth, what do you think of this episode overall? New show, new character, new actor, uh, and a new format. 30-minute comedy, 30-minute fun lawyer show um, for the MCU, right? A bunch of new stuff. So it's kind of interesting to reflect on how well it, it accomplishes these things. I also want to call out uh, Jessica Gao is the showrunner. She's a very talented writer, uh, worked on Rick and Morty before, and uh, I'm a big fan of her. So uh, a, a lot of great pedigree behind this show, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. What did you think of the first episode? So I'll say first and foremost, I'm relieved that I didn't hate it because there's always, unfortunately, that possibility going into any Marvel thing. But on top of that, I'll say that I, I quite enjoyed it. I think it's so far, it's uh, a pretty light and inoffensive show. Uh, inoffensive unless you're a man, baby. We'll, we'll get to that later. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I had fun with it. You know, I think it moves pretty smoothly. Um you know, obviously, I you know have my reservations about the way it goes about some things, but yeah, I I hope it stays this way. Like, I know the focus is going to change going forward. Like, you know, who and what the show is about, but it's you know, it's a, it's a breeze so far. I would agree. I think it's a lot of fun. I think I really enjoy a couple things about it. Um, one is that uh, I've been thinking about like why why the kind of issues that She-Hulk is dealing with are, are different than some of the other heroes we've encountered. Um, obviously, she's a woman and she talks a, a lot about that in this episode and um, how being a woman has in many ways prepared her to be She-Hulk. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's obviously interesting. But uh, But beyond that, it's that She-Hulk is one of the only times when somebody has had a normal job <laughs> and then gets superhero powers, right? Because if you think about the other superheroes, uh, many of them are they're like gods or they're spacefaring travelers or they're billionaires. Um, but very few of them have had normal nine to five or in the case of, of a corporate lawyer, nine to nine jobs and uh, and then had to deal with what it's like to get superpowers. And then people know you have superpowers like it would be probably pretty massively inconvenient to your life. Um, to do that. And and that's what She-Hulk invites you to imagine is what if superpowers made my job inconvenient as opposed to um, my life already sucked and now I got superpowers and I can going to fight, you know, fight crime and fight evil with them, you know, which is actually a lot of many of the characters in the MCU. Like that's what their thing has been is like so, something has been going ro- wrong with their life already. Like uh, take a Wanda vision, sort of uh, Wanda Maximoff and her brother, like, they their their lives weren't exactly awesome, and then they had powers. Or 
Captain America, he was always going to fight crime anyway. You know, he's always going to fight evil anyway. Um, but this is the first time that it's like, hey, normal corporate lawyer or business lawyer, and uh, she's got powers, and uh, th- that would be pretty pretty rough on you. Um, yeah, I think the, the other thing closest- I enjoy Sorry. about the show. Um, so go ahead, Siddharth. I was saying the closest thing we've had is Doctor Strange. He's a surgeon, but when he gets his powers, uh, he becomes you know a full time wizard or what have you. He leaves the whole doctor <laughs> thing behind. He does. I mean, notably, he does not continue trying to be a surgeon once yeah. he gets his powers. Right. Whereas he he, he can't. Uh, that's one of the reasons he seeks out you know um, the the ancient one in the first place. He's like, fix my hands so I can do doctor stuff again. Right. Right. Um... But once once his hands are fixed, he, he like he's still not a surgeon at this point, is what I'm saying, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, whereas it seems like Tatiana Maslany's character here really desires to continue her career as a lawyer, right? So yeah. that's kind of uh, that's notable. And then the other thing is like, yes, people complain about the Joss Whedon esque cracking wise uh, style of dialogue. Uh, but I, I did really enjoy some of the meta commentary in this episode. Mm-hmm. I was reading an interview with Jessica Gao, and she said that actually in some of the initial cuts, uh, like Jessica Gao loves uh, breaking the fourth wall and like the character talking to the audience. She loves that stuff. And she said, if it was up to me, it would be there'd be tons of it all over the show. And um, that doesn't happen. Um, but she said that at one point they, she had put too much of it in and they were like, please like rein it back. Right. And, what I really enjoy is some of the fourth wall breaking stuff, not necessarily her talking to the camera, but some of the meta commentary on MCU shows in general or on, you know, being a superhero and that kind of stuff. And we'll get into that. Um, so uh, coming away from the first episode, like those were the two things that I really like took away from as notable and enjoyable about She-Hulk attorney at law. So. In, in uh, terms of the yeah. dialogue, um, I found it to be mostly enjoyable, even though it does have uh, a resemblance to the thing you're mentioning, this very snappy, back and forth, snarky um, thing that has become the MCU's go-to ever since Joss Whedon. But I think it works for the most part in this episode because it it feels true to the relationship between these two characters as cousins who probably would speak to each other this way. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, why don't we dive into the episode today? Um, let's let's get into it. Uh, the opening scene is uh, the character uh, Jen Walters talking to the camera. Uh, it because it's very obvious she's kind of practicing. Clo- it's meant to feel like she's actually doing the closing argument, but she's practicing it. And then uh, the camera pulls back to reveal that she's actually talking to her colleagues Nikki and Dennis. Um, and she tells the audience, hey, by the way, she's a Hulk, uh, but we, we won't be able to focus on this fun lawyer show, quote unquote, until we know all the details b- behind it, which I have to say is probably a fairly accurate assessment of the audience. Um, <laughs> so uh, cut to a road trip that she's taking with uh, her cousin, Bruce Banner, uh, where she's talking about uh, how you know th- this is going to explain how she got her Hulk powers. And there's a bunch of fun little tidbits in this conversation. First of all, uh, apparently Jen uses chopsticks to eat Cheetos uh, in order to avoid uh, kind of the cheese dust getting on your fingers. And I am curious, Sadanth, like, is this an approach that you ever use for your uh, snack uh, needs to use, do you use chopsticks to eat Cheetos? 
I do not, but I feel like this may be one more of those meta references that you were talking about. I don't know if you clocked it. You familiar with uh, tell, where this may have come from? Okay, because tell me about it. Yeah, I think it was around the time uh, that Moon Knight was starting production. There was a picture of Oscar Isaac behind oh, the scenes yes. uh, eating <laughs> Cheetos with chopsticks uh, that went super viral. So I think this may be a reference to that. That would be amazing if that was the case. Yeah, I remember that. Oscar Isaac eating Cheetos with uh, with chopsticks, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a quick reference made to uh, Cousin Ched, mm-hmm. who may come into the MCU at some point, but... He yeah, already uh, has he already has his own, um, you know, wiki page on all the Marvel yes. fan websites, so keep an eye out. But... Um, I, I I don't use the, the chopsticks with the Cheetos myself, I think, because... Um, I find Cheetos to be very delicate, you know, or, or a lot of like these goods, these snacks to be quite delicate, the ones that have the dust on them, you know, Pirates, Booty, Cheetos, like all those kinds of things like, and um, I don't want to crush them. Plus, the, plus there's the awkward matter of what to do with the chopsticks when you're not using them. Do you put them on a counter? Do you put them with the like tip facing off, like off of the edge in order so they don't get cheese dust on other things? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, well, I haven't basically. I have not incorporated chopsticks into my snack eating regimen quite yet, unfortunately. No, I haven't yet either. But I feel like wouldn't you just put them in the bag? Yeah, but like I, I would always be worried about them getting lost. I guess. I, I guess you could. They kind of stick out. How small out, are but your yeah. chopsticks? <laughs> How big is your Cheetos bag? <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, I'm gonna think. You know, maybe I'll, maybe this warrants more experimentation. Sit on this kind of the take home from this. So, uh, Look, for, for those I'll, of you I'll who try. are only listening to this, there is a video element as well. These videos go up on YouTube, and maybe hey, so at some point we might try this on camera. Indeed, decodingtv.com/slash/youtube. Be sure to subscribe. You'll get video versions of our conversations about uh, the shows that we're recapping. Okay. I also like kind of these meta elements where, you know, Bruce Banner is explaining what's going on. He has a device that keeps him human. And she says, that was the longest answer to what you've been up to that I've ever heard, which is like a very funny touch about like, why would somebody be talking at length about what they're doing uh, unless they had been like giving a really long answer to that question. But I think the last we saw of Bruce Banner, the last two times, number one, he had been... Uh, he did the snap undoing in Avengers Endgame. And then we saw him in Shang-Chi in the post-credit sequence where his arm was like injured mm-hmm. uh, from the snap, from the snap undoing. Yeah. And um, so in, in this scene, he's explaining kind of how he helped to heal his arm and also like why he's staying human um, yeah. using this device that's in his, his hand. Right. Yeah. Cause again, um, a lot of people did question why he was back in human form in that post credit scene, if they made such a big to do about him being, you know, this um, Hulk banner hybrid in Endgame, and he like he had controlled, he had figured out a way to control both elements of his person by that point. So yes, between movies, we never got to see it. Indeed, indeed. Well, we get this. This is kind of serves as like a yeah, a little bit of that, basically, right? So. Uh, then they get interrupted by oh, and then she there was another moment where she says you know she gives like Captain America's full history, which I wasn't sure why she's doing that. Maybe that's going to come into play later. But uh, and then I love that Bruce Banner says yes. Why are you telling me all the things that I've already said? It's kind of this commentary on like screenwriting in general. I thought that was very funny. So then a Sakaran ship shows up and causes them to crash. 
uh, unclear why the Sakaran ship is there um, and like what its whole deal is. Um, I my understanding is that. Uh, the idea that the Sakaran ship is appearing, and I'm going to keep the spoilers light here, is that uh, it, it is a step in the direction of the World War Hulk story from the comics um, and some interesting developments that might build out Hulk's universe in um, in the MCU. Uh, but at this point, we don't know what the Sakaran ship's doing, and presumably we'll find out more by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is this is that stuff we talked about just a little bit of, a while ago on the podcast, Sidanth, about uh, maybe the show begins with like a very fun standalone premise, and by the end, it's all about Sakar and ships and what's going on there, right? <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Jen wakes up in a forest, and then uh, she goes to this bar, is harassed by dudes. Uh, she gets kind of glammed up by these other women who are in the restroom with her, and then she. Uh, uh, she beats up these dudes before we cut to black, and then she wakes up in Mexico. Before she's, we get she's to the Mexico about, stuff, she's about to beat them up, but she gets tackled by her cousin, the Hulk. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Was it was very it happened all very quick at the yeah. end. But yeah, she's a, she she transforms, and then she's about to beat them up, and then like yeah, she gets tackled. Any thought before we get to the Mexico stuff, which is the bulk of this episode? Any other thoughts on this opening sequence? Yeah, I was uh, surprised how quickly and conveniently. Um, the blood transfusion stuff happens. Oh, I'm calling it blood transfusion because that's what it is in the comics. Where it's like, oh, they get into a crash and then, you know, his blood seeps into her blood and, you know, she's She-Hulk now. Um, just because, and this is just a personal thing, I like the element in the comics where, you know, she gets hurt and needs a blood transfusion and then mm. Banner is the only one who can give it to her despite you know, having his irradiated blood. So then that offers a bit of a sense of like a moral dilemma. Like, do I do this to save this person's life? Or, you know, what are the consequences of this? But the show doesn't really seem concerned with that. The episode just can, you know, it it seems like it wants to get us off to the races as soon as possible. So, you know, does it remove an element of that drama in the process? Maybe, but also maybe it's not that kind of show, you know, going forward, maybe we'll look back on this as the right decision, um, but also, again, I'm I'm bringing like comics knowledge into it, so maybe it's not as relevant as I think it is. Um, I, I do think it comes off as quite easy. Like, wow, all he needed to do is get a little bit of blood on her, and like now she's She Hulk. Like that that is a life transforming activity. Yeah. Of course, it's explained later that it's because of their DNA that like responds to gamma radiation. That is is why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it did Which feel like I, wow, Bruce. If if you could have gotten other people, if you could have like made other family members into Hulks, like um, <laughs> that seems like pretty dangerous <laughs> blood to be carrying around with you. You know. So um, back in the Incredible Hulk, the 2008 movie, we do see something like it where Tim Blake Nelson's character gets a cut on his head and a bit of Banner's blood falls into it and you see his head engorge a little bit. Um, uh, nothing ever comes of it. It's, it's you know, meant to be like, oh, he's mm-hmm. going to become the leader, uh, which is a character from the comics. I'm not calling him uh, like a leader type yeah. of character. Um, nothing ever comes of that yet. But, um, mm. but yeah, look, maybe. It, you know, it happens. Maybe Maybe soon. It happens. It's convenient. Uh, it's a way to move things forward because, you know, as we see in the episode, so much of it is about, yeah, right. She's She-Hulk. We don't need to tell, you know, her story the exact same way we told Bruce's story. And so much of the episode is kind of a meta commentary on that. Um, but, oh, interesting thing. Before she, before Jen Walters uh, gets into that bathroom where um, a group of women helps her out, 
she stops by a QR code. And if you scan that QR code, you will get an issue of Savage She-Hulk number one from 1980, which is her first ever comic appearance, uh, which we may actually talk about um, as this season goes on. Awesome. Uh, you you can't ever slip a QR code by Sedant, by the way. He's always <laughs> going to catch it. So nicely done. So Jen wakes up in Mexico. Amazing location. Looks beautiful. Looks very mm-hmm. nice. Um uh, there's a bunch of cool decor around the house, like the Iron Man helmet and goes into the basement lab. And it's clear that like apparently Bruce and Tony built this, I think after the events of Civil War, but before the events of uh, of uh, Infinity War is my sense. Uh, um, no, it seems to be after Infinity War, but before Endgame, that five okay, year yeah. period. Gotcha. Um, okay. The, because uh, I remember it was like, it was a, a good time and a tough time, I think it was, right? So, yeah. Oh, and um, also, yeah. he was in space between Civil War and Infinity War. Mm, mm, gotcha. I got, I got my wars mixed up. So oh. I, I got my my fake wars mixed up. I apologize. Well, you're going to hate um, where Phase 6 goes. <laughs> so uh, they talk about, like, how she needs to figure out a way to, like, control her transformation, control her anger. Um, they explain, like how it was she became Hulk in the first place and like is the blood. And she's like, make me one of those machines. And he says, it's a prototype. I can't do it. You know? So, uh, and then he basically needs to like train her. They go through kind of like a training montage. Um, and there is this blade room where these blades come out of the wall and like approach her. And she's like, what's the backup plan if I don't transform into Hulk, but she does. And that's when he realizes uh, she is she is basically herself when she transforms into Hulk, unlike Bruce, right? When Bruce transformed into Hulk, he was kind of a different alter ego. Mm-hmm. She apparently has no alter ego. So that makes her special, unlike Bruce. It took him uh, a decade to get to that point. She's there uh, immediately, which makes her kind of interesting. Um, so any any thoughts on like this opening part where the extent of her powers and the, the change to her life is made clear? Yeah, uh, a couple of things that are just like little connections that may or may not be connections. Uh, one, she finds a Led Zeppelin t-shirt lying around, which, you know, did that belong to Tony Stark? He seems to have spent a bit of time there. That was just a fun little thing. Um, another thing, you know, she received a loath uh, wow, lothal, that's not a word, lethal dose, excuse me, of gamma radiation. Uh, I'm just going to say lothal. She received a lothal dose of gamma radiation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she survived because something, something genetic factors. And I'm wondering, based on something else that happens in another MCU show, no spoilers, uh, is this a reference to genetic mutation? They don't make it quite explicit, but um, I wonder if those are the genetic factors that Bruce Banner is talking about. Because we know, you know, our our mutant friends will probably eventually show up in the MCU. Um, but eh, those are just two, like, you know, little Easter egg type things I wanted to get out of the way. But mm. as far as the meat of it goes, first of all, what is up with that saw room? Um, because like, why would you need something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, unless he built it like that day, but no, it, it's something that feels right out of not just the vague idea of a Saw movie, but specifically the eighth Saw movie, Jigsaw. Ha- they have a wall that is exactly like that in that movie. And, you know, I mean, thank goodness she does Hulk out because if she didn't, she would be dead. She's right. Bruce Banner is yeah. crazy. <laughs> 
Interesting fact, if you're listening to this or watching this podcast, um, you're hanging out with probably approximately uh, 80% of the people who have seen that Saw movie. Um, yeah. Are right here on this podcast right now. Um, but yes, Sanath and I are both Saw fans. And yet mm. that, that is a... Uh, it's from Jigsaw, right? That's yeah. That's the one. Yeah, there, there, there's like the wall of saws, basically. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I, I want to say there's been more than one movie where there's been saws coming out of a wall. Actually, I'm going to put that out there. There's something similar in the sixth one. Yes. Exactly. Uh, by the way, they did just announce that the director of six is coming back for ten, but we'll talk about that yes! some other time. <laughs> New saw movie coming, baby. <laughs> Welcome to the Sawcast. Um, yes. <laughs> but back to back to She Hulk Attorney at Saw. Um, it's no, I, I I like this segment because you know it um, it starts to set up the idea that yes, they have a similar origin story, but it is going to be a different kind of story for a variety of reasons and is it necessary for them to explain all the reasons in this much detail maybe um but i did have fun watching it um and i think as the episode goes on like those discussions become more i guess discussiony and you know expositiony um which i have mixed feelings on but i generally i like the broad strokes of where they're taking it especially like you said in this meta sense of like commenting on the story that they are telling and also not telling in a way mm. so then there's basically like a montage where he's kind of training her he has this big binder that has all his notes which you know if you've ever done uh personal work on yourself on your health uh then uh, this was a this is a relatively new concept to me, Sanant. That like, um, I started working out recently, and like, I have I have like notes. I need to keep notes basically on like when I'm working out and like what weights I'm lifting, all this stuff like that. And it's like uh, I've never had to like I didn't know it required that much. Anyway, obviously, Bruce trying to control his anger and becoming the supernatural human Hulk uh, is a much different thing than me lifting weights, but. Uh, he clearly kept like very documented things of all the things he went through and like how he approached and things he tried probably. And he didn't expect it to become a syllabus, but it has. Anyway, that that was a cool idea, like a cool reference to that idea. Yeah. Um, He also talks about dialectical behavioral therapy uh, and how it's important that uh, Jen absorb this kind of therapy. I did a little bit of reading on dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, And I'm going to read to you from a website I found about the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Dialectical behavioral therapy is a modified type of cognitive therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Its main goals are to teach people how to live in the moment, develop healthy ways to cope with stress, regulate their emotions, and improve their relationship with others. Uh, Dialectical behavioral therapy was originally intended to treat borderline personality disorder, but it has been adapted to treat other mental health conditions. Uh, I'm skipping it around a little bit, but some important elements of dialectical behavioral therapy, the development of mindfulness. Mindfulness helps you focus on the present or live in the moment. This helps you pay attention to what is happening inside you, your thoughts, your feelings, sensations, and impulses, as well as using your senses to tune into what's happening around you in non-judgmental ways. Emotion regulation lets you navigate powerful feelings in a more effective way. The skills you learn will help you identify, name, and change your emotions. And finally, I found this thing of stages of dialectical behavioral therapy. Number one, during the beginning of treatment, the most serious and self-destructive behaviors are the first things addressed. Uh, Number two, stage two, treatment moves on to address issues that affect a person's quality of life. 
such as their interpersonal effectiveness, emotional regulation skills, and ability to tolerate distress. Stage three, issues related to self-esteem and interpersonal relationships. Stage four, focusing on helping people get the most out of their lives, including finding ways to experience greater happiness, strengthen their relationships, and pursue their life goals. Siddhanth, I'm putting this out there. Those stages, that's what this show is going to be. It's going to go through those stages. What do you think? That's the template for the show. I'm putting it out there. I mean, now that you mention it, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's I think, hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah, I, I want know. that for Jen Walters. I want that for yeah, Jen Walters. Because I think, yeah. you know, towards the end of this episode, the um, the main, I guess, underlying theme becomes women would rather go to the courtroom than do dialectical behavioral therapy or what have you. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, the fact that it comes up in such explicit terms, you, you might be right about this. But yeah, it was interesting that like he referenced like dialectical behavioral therapy is referenced so prominently in the episode. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. they don't in MCU shows, they don't usually bring up like, hey, let's do some cognitive behavioral therapy. Like they don't usually bring up like real life science terms. So I'm like, "Hmm, I wonder if it's notable in some way that they did that. So anyway. So there is a, a. montage and i i think it's fun to kind of learn about the practicalities of being hulk mm-hmm. got to reinforce all your furniture you got to have high ceilings uh you got to wear spandex all the time in case you transform into hulk like those are just funny funny touches so yeah it's and that's what's cool about like a tv show is like you can get into all these like in between moments between when these people are uh destroying villains right like is what it's like to actually live as these people. And I remember watching WandaVision. I think it was WandaVision. You watch her like drive a car. I think in WandaVision, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen one of the characters drive a car before. You know, like it was just a weird kind of moment of daily mundane life. Yeah. Uh, that you get that to experience during these TV shows. A car that they weren't either being attacked in or stealing or something. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, uh, I, I don't think it were, I think it's specifically Wanda. I don't think you'd ever seen her drive a car because she can like fly everywhere. You know? What oh I mean? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, if you could fly, would you ever drive a car, Sedan? Or would you kind of do it just to fit? Like, wouldn't it be so annoying to sit in traffic if you could fly? It'd just be like. So I'm the thing is I'm scared of heights. So uh-huh, even if I uh-huh. could fly, I would have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's but fair. I, 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 I'm, I'm afraid of heights and I'm afraid of speeds. But I love roller coasters, so I don't really know. <laughs> Well, it's because um, you can like simulate, you can come close to those things without ever actually being in danger. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, my yeah. dialectical behavioral therapy. So uh, there's again this big training montage where like Bruce teaches her how to do a bunch of stuff and theoretically how to control her emotions and all this stuff, and she obviously rebukes him by saying like I'm way better at controlling my emotions than you. Like the whole tone of this is I am better than you at being Hulk, right? Like <laughs> she's like I I Jen am better than Bruce at being Hulk. And, mm-hmm. Uh, she probably has a lot of uh, points in her favor there. But do you have any other thoughts on this kind of entire sequence where like they're in Mexico, uh, you know, before they have the kind of falling out, like any other thoughts on this training stuff? Love some Hulk Tai Chi. Love that. Love the boulder toss. I think, again, yes. it, it's well, fun. Well, Bruce throws a boulder into the distance, but like that boulder is probably going to kill someone, you know, like. <laughs> no, because it's. He just know, he, throws it. Yeah. He tosses a boulder, you know, a slight bit of the way. And she's like, I can do that. And she throws it even further. I like that, you know, Bruce, one of the heroes, one of the original Avengers is experiencing these little jealousies that his Mm -hmm. cousin, that his girl cousin, especially 
is um you know might be might be a slightly better more well-adjusted hulk than he is uh, i think that's an interesting way to go about it because look a show like this was always going to you know go down the route of making you know certain gendered commentaries but i was not expecting um some of that to happen via the hulk himself which i think is an mm. interesting way to go about it right because the the hulk like Bruce Banner like literally cannot acknowledge in his mind that she is better than like he seems to have difficulty wrapping his head around the possibility <laughs> that uh she doesn't need to go through all the anguish that he went through to become like Hulk, right? Yeah. Um, and and he you know, like she's... he's very resists that that possibility. Yeah, and she says it in very explicit terms like we're, we're different people. Like we have different needs, we have different things. So that's why, you know, I don't need to do all this. My goals are different. What she's basically saying is my uh, challenges are a character as a character are going to be different, which is I think sort of a preemptive uh response to, you know, the inevitable criticisms you always have for stuff like this, which is like, oh, Mary Sue, how does she know how to do the thing? It's like it's fiction. Just just are they telling a good story with it or not? That's the real question. Right. And exactly. I think so far, uh the fact that they managed to incorporate that into <laughs> the Hulk not being able to deal with it, I think is pretty funny. Um yeah. but uh when she has this um this speech where he talk he talks about like you know, you need to be able to, you know, regulate your anger and your stress and your emotions. Again, a very charged thing to be saying to a woman. And she has this response that now a lot of people have been discussing online, where um, I actually have it written down word for word here. Uh, yeah, she says, quote, thing, here's Bruce. the thing, Bruce. I'm, I'm great at controlling my anger. I do it all the time. When I'm catcalled in the street, when incompetent men explain my own area of expertise to me, I do it pretty much every day because if I don't, I'll get called emotional or difficult or might just get literally murdered. So I'm an expert at controlling my anger because I do it infinitely more than you. Um, so all of this just feels like projecting a lot of shit onto me, end quote, right? Yeah. So I have a lot of mixed feelings about this because on one hand, I think it's, again, an interesting way to go about differentiating them as characters. Uh, and I think there is a truth to it that uh, it almost retroactively reframes the Hulk in in ways that I wish we had gotten to see. Um, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in this episode, like, you know, the, the Bruce Tony stuff, they've carved their initials, they feel like they were actual friends, whereas that hasn't always been the actual case uh, in these movies. So this is sort of retroactively filling in a lot of gaps. Um, and one of those gaps that it seems to be filling in is the reasons that Bruce Banner has had to, you know, go on this 10 or 15 year journey in the first place, uh, is that because he had all these you know, unregulated, uh, undealt with anger issues. And the MCU has never really had the opportunity to slow down and really concentrate on them because, you know, the Incredible Hulk back in 2008, I know it sounds like I'm rambling a bit, but I will circle back to my original point. Watch me. Um, the Incredible Hulk back in 2008 is sort of a soft reboot of the 2003 Hulk movie, right? It's not in the same continuity, but it assumes that the audience has a certain familiarity with the Hulk. And so it collapses the origin story of the Hulk into its opening credits montage. And, you know, it starts out with the Hulk in uh, a setting very similar to where he was left at the end of the 2003 movie. So it's kind of a soft reboot. And so going forward, the MCU has never really, really dealt with the origins of the Hulk as an embodiment of rage. 
right? Which I think is a, the most interesting story you can tell with the Hulk. And they haven't really done that, um, especially with, you know, that five-year gap where he finally learns to deal with all this stuff, where he deals with his shit and, you know, integrates his two personalities. So now this show is in the position of having to pretend like that story has been told. Um, and so therefore, by making Jen comment on it, by saying, the reason I am the way I am is because, you know, I have, like, she is the actual embodiment of his famous line, I'm always angry. Um, because she has had to, in her daily life, balance things in a way that he hasn't had to. And, you know, I know speaking in broad generalities here, that, yeah, you know, the way men are socialized is not always the most healthy when it comes to dealing with anger. And so in a theoretical sense, it makes perfect sense that this is the way the Hulk story went, that, you know, he his anger was an emotion that he could not fully control and really, really, really had to work through it. Whereas for her, it was something she, you know, has already come up having to deal with, having to disguise. Uh, so she would obviously deal with it differently. So I think, again, in theory, I think this is a brilliant approach. I just don't love that it is just basically spoken to the camera rather than <laughs> dramatized in any mm-hmm, meaningful way. Because mm-hmm. it takes yeah. me back to some of the early episodes of Supergirl when it was still on CBS, which I think does a a much better job of telling this exact story about the ways women in the workplace are expected to you know, keep a lid on their emotions lest they be, you know, perceived as, you know, uh, unruly or or what have you. Um, I think, and that whole episode in Supergirl deals with Supergirl dealing with her anger both in the workplace and uh, as a superhero. Whereas over here, yes, thematically it, it works, but it's, wouldn't it be great if we could see something like this dramatized rather than having it told to us? Yeah. Uh, I think very well put, Siddhanth, and I would agree it's a little bit clunky. It's it's a great thematic through line for the show, mm-hmm. uh, but the way it's kind of conveyed in this scene is a little bit clunky when she gives that speech to him. So um, completely agree, completely agree with everything you're saying. One thing I also really appreciated about this whole sequence where they're kind of getting into a fight and stuff and, you know, they, they have a, a Hulk fight on the beach. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, before I get to this, what I'm about to say, I'll say, uh, speaking of the Incredible Hulk, uh, I, I do want to call out that will be our main topic for next week on the podcast, DecodingTV.com. So we're going to be rewatching the Incredible Hulk and talking about it uh, in, in our opening segment next week at DecodingTV.com. So uh, be sure to to watch that and then we'll talk about it because it will be relevant for reasons that will become clear very soon. So anyway, uh, one of the things I like about this scene is when she, she talks to him about why she doesn't want to be a superhero. Like he's trying to convince her, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And she says, quote, the idea of being a superhero is not appealing to me right now. I don't need to join some secret government contractor squad and have my entire life taken away from me. End quote, which I thought was a really, you, you realize at that point, at that moment, how hard Bruce Banner's life has probably been, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and that working for the Avengers is like, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, it's like, oh, it's so cool to be part of the Fantastic Four and the blah, blah, blah. But like when you see it depicted in like relatively grounded movies, it's like, wow, it's actually really hard. And 
you lose a lot of your individuality and you lose, you know, you don't, you can't work your corporate law job anymore. And uh, all that stuff just really hit me when she said that, like, wow, this guy's life really has been hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, okay. Before we get to the final sequence, I am curious. There's been a lot of controversy online said on about how the show She-Hulk Attorney at Law looks. Yes. Um, and in particular, some of the CG looking kind of rough in the early trailers that had come out. Um, w- did you have any opinion on how this episode looked? I thought overall pretty good. I didn't really have that many major complaints. The the rougher stuff is when there's no practical elements. Like It's like mm-hmm. She-Hulk and regular Hulk fighting on the beach. And I just don't think, li- I think literally almost nothing of what's here is actually practical i don't think it's filmed on location it's probably a green screen the she-hulk's not real the hulk's not real like and so that stuff looked almost like cartoony a little bit but in general i thought she-hulk looks pretty good i think you know when they're interacting with like regular real life objects it looks pretty good what did you think of the look of the episode cg was i think the hulk looks great i think she-hulk looks really weird i think she is still very much in the uncanny valley for a couple of reasons uh like there's been you know a lot of chat online recently uh, and a lot of very well researched articles written about you know um marvel studios relationship to you know vfx houses and how these things often come about and uh, whether it's the rush nature of them or you know the increased workload that's put on vfx artists and uh one of the points that came up along the way was you know, the, that VFX artists were supposedly, allegedly uh, told to make She-Hulk look smaller. Um, and, you know, whereas the Hulk has all these exaggerated features, you know, she is proportionally very similar to what she is in her human form. And so, I, it, you know, I'm playing a bit of a guessing game here. It seems to me like so much time was spent, like, retooling what She-Hulk is supposed to look like that they never quite got it right. Whereas going into this, they already, you know, they've already done Hulk, yeah, you know, tons they have, of times. Like Hulk already has a very established yeah, look those, that they can they, they just get right. Yeah, the assets, the process, what have you, that's all more or less sorted out. I know it's still you know work still goes into it, um, but if you look at you know any given scene where it cuts between the two of them, you look at the way the light is falling on the Hulk's face. He has just more of a texture as a character, whether it's his stubble, whether it's his wrinkles, you know, even uh, the way his hands are textured. And you do see some of that with She-Hulk. Like there was this this one bit where you could kind of see a bit of muscle definition on her forearms and a bit of like hair as well, where it is like, okay, she feels like a real person in some moments. But for the most part, when, you know, it's just a close-up of her, um, it's just, it's just this plain, smooth, like not entirely human looking thing that, that I think, you know, I would be able to forgive if Tatiana Maslany was a worse actress because mm-hmm. you see her in her human form and she's so animated. She's so in tune yeah. with this material, you know? And I think that's one of, again, one of the reasons that the snarky snappy dialogue works is because she is so at ease with it. You know, it's obviously very different from her work on Orphan Black, but she seems to be a perfect addition to this universe. But then when you have her in Hulk form, 
it starts to feel cartoony again. And I know like her dialogue is still delivered the way she delivers it, but the facial expressions become very, you know, DreamWorks face. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. DreamWorks face, which is like these simple, simplistic, over-exaggerated expressions, basically. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that kind of works against, you know, um, the, I guess the, the jokey tone kind of working because it feels much more exaggerated uh, than when it's just the actress at the wheel. Um, and there are even some shots where, you know, where she transforms, but the transformation is entirely off screen and they seem to have had to cut around a lot of things to have as little of her transformation on screen as possible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's tough to know when they're trying to hide CG or when they're just trying to be artful. Like in the first scene, when she starts transforming near the car, you only see her in the car door reflection, I believe, you know? Um, so yeah, this is this is a topic of very great uh, consternation and discussion online right now. Uh, a, a Reddit post went viral recently um, where somebody wrote, quote, uh, I'm frankly sick and tired of working on Marvel shows. Marvel has probably the worst methodology of production and VFX management out there. They can never fix the look for the show before more than half the allocated time for the show is over. Uh, the artists working on Marvel shows are definitely not paid equivalent to the amount of work they put in. The charm for working on a Marvel movie is way overrated. I'd rather be happy working on a TV series after decades and decades of this. Sorry, but I had to get it off my chest, end quote. And there's a lot of discussion on Reddit about this. But basically, yeah, it does seem to me very um, plausible to me that they're giving notes on like how the character should look right until the end. And as a result, they never got to work on some of the finer details. Uh, if, if you look at just like the Hulk's skin, Right. Like the whole skin is like very detailed, very textured, whereas like she kind of looks more like glossy and mm-hmm. um, it, it, it does, she does look a little bit weird compared the She-Hulk does look a little bit weird compared to Hulk. And I think it's for the reasons that we've already discussed. But that said, I think it's passable. You know, yeah. like it's not horrible, but it, it, it's it's not what I would describe as great. You know, like any, any other thoughts on this before we finish this episode off? Yeah, when you're uh, the most successful studio in the world, possible, not terrible is what you want to go for. Mm-hmm. Not great, <laughs> not terrible. Uh, to quote Chernobyl. Okay. Well, speaking of things that are not great, not completely terrible, there's the the closing scene where you know she delivers the closing argument and then um, Jam- Titania, played by Jamila Jamil, crashes through the wall and then Jen fights her and then... And that's the end. Um, it's um, I thought this was like pretty rough, honestly, yeah. Sidanth. Uh, this felt like the it felt like in the script they were like action scene goes here, and then like <laughs> no one ever bothered to like write it. Like it was so weird and abridged, and, and I mean, it's probably an homage to kind of some older shows, but it's just like you know older tv shows older serials or superhero shows but like it just felt so kind of out of place compared with how relatively serious the rest of the episode was what do you think of this final scene see i don't mind the goofiness but i would say give us the goofy in its in all its glory like there's Mm -hmm. a very brief shot of i don't know how it's pronounced yet titania or titania uh i guess we'll see as the show goes on jamila jamil's character who I'm sure we'll get to know uh, of her flying across the room and, you know, doing kind of a tokusatsu kick. Um, it was, it was funny. It was goofy, but you know, it, it just, it flies by so quickly. Um, you know, she lands with a thud against the wall so quickly that you don't really have the time to even register what's going on. Um, 
But I, I do like, you know, the closing moments of the show where they start playing Eve's Who's That Girl? And, you know, she uh, she being Jen Walters kind of stands in her, like, her, her half-torn suit and tries to give her closing arguments again. Um, yeah, I thought it, you know, it, it was fine. You know, everything preceding it was odd. I wish it was either much more serious or much more goofy rather than this, you know, choppy in-between nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... You know, like I said, I didn't dislike it entirely. So uh, I'd like to see where this goes next. Talking about my quote, I didn't dislike it entirely is another (laughs) quote you can put on that Marvel poster. Um, (laughs) She-Hulk attorney at law, I didn't dislike it entirely. All right. Well, um, Siddhanth, any closing thoughts? Uh, I thought the first episode was fun, and I think it's like, Delivering on its promise of being a fun lawyer show so far. My sense, you know, from reading reviews and stuff is that like this show has not yet established the status quo of Mm -hmm. what the rest of the series is going to be, what all nine, like most of the nine episodes are going to be. But in terms of giving this backstory, you know, it's cool that they got Mark Mark Ruffalo in the show and um, and Tatiana Maslany is obviously very talented and brings a lot to this role. Um, Fun episode. Any other thoughts? Yeah. If, if it ends up being, um, you know, a fun, goofy villain of the week type thing, you know, with isolated adventures, contained adventures. I wouldn't mind that. Um, again, I don't know what the show is about yet. I haven't seen the second episode. I've only seen like the trailers they released beforehand. I've not seen any, you know, next week on type stuff. Uh, I'm just glad that so far the stakes aren't about, you know, saving the world or saving a city even. Um and I don't know how much more we're going to see of the Hulk, but I like the dynamic that they have so far. Uh, you may have already seen online <laughs> people like shipping Hulk and She-Hulk. Sure, why not? It happens for everything out there. Um, I'm not, you know, much of a shipper myself, especially when it comes to like characters who might be like related. But it's it's interesting to see this happening just because I, I get why, because these two characters are maybe like the only man and woman throughout the entire MCU who feel like they have anything resembling a realistic dynamic. Um, <laughs> so sure, go nuts, everyone. So I like what they've got going on. Who, who and cares if they're cousins? Who cares it's if it's fiction. technically illegal? It's fiction. I don't, it's, you know, uh, you, you want to ship two big green people together. That's fine by me. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I like that dynamic. I've said, I like that dynamic a lot. Um, you know, the show works-ish so far. I'll put that on the poster. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up here for today on Decoding TV. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, The Incredible Hulk as well as She-Hulk Attorney at Law Episode 2 here on the podcast. So uh, if you want to watch along with us, That'd be great. You can find uh, this show on all your favorite podcast players. You can support this show at DecodingTV.com. Find us on YouTube at DecodingTV.com slash YouTube. Uh, and uh, that's it. He is Siddhanta Laka. I am David Chen. We'll see you next week. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.